Hi, and welcome to Forest of the Future, the podcast series where we look into how innovation in FSC can help save our forests. We all know that forests play a key role in combating the climate change and the biodiversity crisis that we're facing. In this series, we explore how innovation, especially within tech tools, but also more broadly, can help us protect our forests and support the mission of FSC, which is to ensure responsible management of our forests worldwide. In this episode, we continue the focus from last week on the impact of COVID-19 on our certification scheme. This week, we will take a closer look into what is happening on the certification side. The COVID-19 pandemic has put a halt to a lot of things moving around the globe, both humans and natural resources. So how does a certification scheme like FSC respond to this kind of disruption? A scheme where being able to travel to an audit site or have certified goods supplied is central to being able to function. FSC has put a series of emergency rules, or derogations as they're named, into place to make sure that businesses working with FSC aren't put to a halt unjustified. In this episode, I'll dive into these derogations along with our Chief Policy Officer Hans-Joachim Droste to learn more about what they contain, how they were informed and created, and what we've learned from this disruption already. Let's dive in. I started out by asking Achim what FSC has done now that we cannot send auditors to certified forests and factories around the globe due to travel restrictions. In principle, we require that people have to go on site to conduct audits at least once a year. And this has good reasons because there's a lot of things you can only see on site. Um, but in difficult circumstances, we already have a provision in the system that you can do audits remotely, something we call desk audits. Mm -hmm. And this is usually when people do not take uh, physical possession. It's a very small scenario where you can do desk audits normally. And we have an interpretation that actually then expanded this and say you can also consider desk audits when there is a demonstrated security risk for the health of people. Mm -hmm. And we had in mind at that time that it's about civil wars, uh, weather disasters like tsunamis. We had cases in Japan where this applied. And then when COVID came around, uh, we got requests if that would also create a scenario under which these desk audits could be possible. And we got the first requests early this year uh, from China where this all started. Mm. And it was a very exceptional circumstance and we then said, okay, this is a valid reason to allow these people to conduct the annual surveillance audits as desk audits, so remotely and don't have to go on site and risk their lives and the lives of the people of the company. And as COVID was spreading, we got more and more requests to allow these uh, remote audit options. And, and this is how it all started. And then mm -hmm. we said, under these given circumstances, that there are travel restrictions, that there are lockdowns, uh, where audits on site are not possible or would only be possible under very harsh conditions, we said it's it's reasonable to allow people to do this remotely. Mm -hmm. How is a remote audit then conducted? What are, what are the requirements for such an audit? There must be the means, the communication and technology means in place. So the certificate holder and the CB, they have to agree on these means on a on a safe and confidential data transmission option. Mm 
Mm -hmm. um, ideally, there should be also the option that you can do uh, video conferencing, so you could even guide someone who is in the company through a company to, to show you by, via video capacities how the situation is on the ground. And of course, there's a lot of preparation needed. You need to agree on the time where people are available. Uh, it's a bit more effort even than outside audits because logistics and infrastructure is a bit more challenging to be set up. Mm -hmm. But have you found that they that they actually function now that people are getting used to using them? Yeah, they are functioning very, very well. And I mean, there's also a lot of uh, exchanges between CBs, between auditors, between certification schemes even. ASI and ICL are setting up regular calls with scheme owners and auditors to exchange experience and best practice. Mm -hmm. There is also a guidance document from the International Accreditation Forum, um, which prescribes the options of doing remote audits and what kind of technology means are recommended to do that. And I mean, we are not operating as FSE in a vacuum, so others are, are faced with the same kind of challenges. Mm -hmm. and, and they try to address these challenges in a similar way like we do. Uh, so we are not doing something very unique. And we are also in active contact with all the other schemes and with actors like ICEL and we look at what IAF is recommending uh, to operate in an internationally consistent manner. Mm -hmm. This so, is of course also a benefit for the certificate holders because when they hold multiple, multiple certificates from various schemes, they can operate this in a similar way, the way mm -hmm. they do these remote audits and they don't have to adapt or their operations uh, and, and manners on how to respond to this challenge to each individual CB in a different way. You mentioned before uh, the word derogation. Is a derogation, is that uh, is that the way that FSC can introduce a short-term change in the system? Well, what is a derogation? Um, we have various ways to address short-term uh, changes and, and this is our, our rapid response tools as we call them. Mm -hmm. A derogation is, is not even the most common one because a derogation is an exemption. We allow people to do something which is different to what normally is required. Mm -hmm. So we invalidate a rule temporarily under certain circumstances. This is very rare. Uh, other more normal rapid response tools we have are our advice notes and our interpretations. Mm -hmm because they close gaps in our normative framework in a, in a faster way than waiting for the next regular revision. Mm -hmm. Valid der uh, derogation is a, a rapid response to an immediate problem. Mm -hmm. uh, and yeah, in the past, most common scenarios were mostly about health risks of people, mm -hmm. where we had like outbreaks of, of riots, uh, civil wars, um, tsunami events or others. Pandemic is mentioned in our in our normative framework is one of the reasons, but this is the first time that we ever really experienced that this was a real case. Mm -hmm. And and your team must have been hugely busy these last months and trying to keep up with what's going on. Um, how many derogations have you pushed out this year? And we have pushed out six derogations, five mm -hmm. of which are generic, which means they apply to everybody. Uh, one of which was a specific thing, uh, 
early in January when it was still a very isolated incident. Mm -hmm. uh, an office of NCB was locked down and they couldn't issue a certificate and we have to give them a derogation to issue that certificate some days later than the original deadline, which mm -hmm. is also a very common thing for derogations. The deadlines are just missed by, by days. Mm -hmm. um, but the other ones, the five other ones, uh, which are also in our Corona register, uh, which is on our webpage, um, they are generic and all CBs and all certificate holders can apply them if they are in the situation that the derogation describes. Mm -hmm. In addition to these uh, six derogations, we have three interpretations. And the, the difference is that there was already an existing rule that allowed something which we then adapted to these circumstances, while the derogation addresses something uh, which is a unique new circumstance. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that makes a total of nine different new changes, generic, or eight exactly. of them would be generic. Yeah. Is that the normal pace for FSE? I mean, in the past, we never had something like this. I mean, this mm -hmm. is something very unique uh, and nobody knows where it's going. And as we never had something like this in the past, the normal number of derogation we issue annually, annually is between three and five. Mm -hmm. And 99% okay. of them is around, there is something happened, maybe a, a sick case, someone was seriously sick who was an auditor or a key person in the company, and an audit had to be postponed beyond deadlines or something. Um, that's where we usually say you can in this and this is almost uh, specific cases. It's not generic in those cases in the past. It's a specific isolated case, which is temporarily where for one time we allow a derogation from the normal rules. Mm -hmm. So we have between three and five normally annually of these cases. Mm -hmm. So now we are already at six, as you, as you say, mm -hmm. for this year. It seems that we have now covered all possible scenarios uh, <laughs> with these six. So I do not really expect that we get more in relation to this COVID event. Mm. Could you highlight the most important changes that have been introduced by those six? Yeah, we have clustered them a little bit. Uh, mm -hmm. And one derogation is addressing multiple issues because they all belong to the same cluster. So one derogation is dealing with this whole package of auditing requirements that we allow CB audits to happen remotely under certain circumstances. And if we started off with annual surveillance audits uh, and just recently we added a new derogation that based on a risk assessment, a chain of custody main assessments can also be conducted remotely. Then we have one derogation which addresses this whole cluster of auditor training. We have a number of requirements that Trading of auditors has to happen in face-to-face -face situations and on, on site, mm -hmm. which is not possible at this moment. Um, but in order to keep uh, auditors qualified and in order to allow CBs to further qualify auditors, we had to also give them a temporary derogation to, to do this training remotely. Then one cluster is about groups, both in forest management and chain of custody, that we continue to allow the group managers to conduct their internal audits of their members, also now in a remote fashion when travel is restricted. And then we have two very specific chain of custody related derogations where it's about really chain of custody hardcore requirements. And one is about uh, virgin fiber in recycled products where currently there is a supply crisis for recycled material and 
companies were not able to purchase enough recycled products to fulfill their delivery commitments. So in order to avoid relabeling, which is always very painful for companies, we allowed them temporarily to add virgin fiber to recycled products, but still declare it as recycled material, mm-hmm. recycled products. And the other one is about uh, lowering the percentage in the percentage-based system where normally we would require 70% FSC material in the product. Uh, and this is temporarily lowered down to 51% mm-hmm. because there's also a supply crisis in those companies. And I have to say that that these chain of custody related ones, the, the last one, lowering the percentage is only valid until the end of this month, uh, end of June 2020. So then this exception expires. Uh-huh. And the virgin fiber, I think, is until October this year. So it's all very time bound. And mm-hmm. it's not that we give now a free ride for these routes forever. It's it's bound to very strict conditions under which they have to be applied. And it's for only a very short, limited period of time. Yeah, and correct me if I'm wrong, because if you do use these options, right? So if you do, for example, lower your amount of uh, of FSC material in, in a mixed product down to 50%, you still have to have the rest of that material be at least FSC control wood. And wouldn't you also have to make up for the, the difference in volume over time so that you, in the period coming afterwards, would have to input even more certified fiber in order to be able to to label. This is fully correct. Mm. I mean, we allow people to go into deficit now for a certain period of time, but they have to compensate this defi- deficit afterwards. Mm-hmm. So in terms of the overall FSC volume, there is again, it's again balanced out over time. Mm-hmm. And I mean, even in practice, uh, over a, a production period of a month or half a year, there is always a situation where you have a small deficit that you need to balance out with your next delivery, with mm-hmm. your next supply delivery. So in reality, there is never a, a constant level uh, of, let's say, 70%, but you're always floating around this mm-hmm. over your production period. And now we just, in principle, we just expanded this production period uh, beyond the normal rules uh, to allow companies to ch- to face this challenging situation. Mm-hmm. How do we actually inform our certification bodies and our certificate holders about these changes, these generic uh, derogations? So for the for the corona derogations, we tried to address this through all the channels that we had, through emails. It's very prominently on our webpage. If you enter our webpage, the first thing that pops up is the COVID-19 update, which is constantly revised to, to keep it always up to date. Um, we hope and we see that our network partners are very actively in supporting us in communicating this locally and nationally. Mm-hmm. And we see that our certification bodies are also very active. So as COVID is such a, a prominent topic uh, globally, we see that actually our certification body and certificate holder basis is very well informed of the mm-hmm. options that are out there. Mm-hmm. But we still need to find a way that we get a better direct link also to our certificate holders. Uh, That's a link that is not very well established at this moment, but Mm -hmm. that is where we also need to get the information to. Okay, so now we know that FSC has already put major general derogations in place to make sure the certification can still happen. 
But what intelligence were these derogations based on? How do we handle the risk? What happens after the pandemic? And what have we learned already? Let's hear some more from Achim. The derogations are always coming out of a need that something is not implementable in the normal way. So it's usually a certification body who approaches us and says, we have a problem implementing this rule as per the letter of the requirement. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, they have to demonstrate what the problem is. So the information is first provided by the by the entity applying for the derogation, usually it's a certification body, sometimes a certificate holder through the certification body. And then we analyze this information and uh, develop a solution around it and do our research as best as we can and do a risk assessment based on what is presented. Mm -hmm. And how do you do that risk assessment? How do you know what kind of risk is involved? I mean, we look, of course, I mean, risk is this combination of probability and impact. So we, we look at these two dimensions and depending on the scale of what is requested, I mean, if it's a derogation to ex to backdate a certificate for like a week mm -hmm. because they missed the timeline because some key people were sick, then it's not really a big risk assessment in that sense that you need to do. So it's done by a small team internally within PSU mm. and the impact of a one week's extension of a certificate is minimal and it's mm -hmm. an isolated case. So for these other ones that we now had, uh, which of course have a bigger scale because it can be applied generically, we bring this up to a level of like the policy and steering group where we have mm -hmm. the COO, CEO involved and, and then do a proper risk assessment together. But it's usually, of course, we need to act quickly uh, to respond quickly to the needs so we cannot invest in, in week-long research. Mm. So we do a kind of best-we-can analysis of the situation and balancing the, the risk and try to also consider risk mitigation measures that we can build into the equation mm -hmm. so that there are strict conditions under which a derogation can be applied, that it's time-bound, and that there is transparency in the way that it is applied and and makes it controllable both for us and for ASI, the controlling body of the mm -hmm. certification bodies. Mm -hmm. Did you reject any requests for derogations in this in these last months due to risk? Uh, we have rejected one derogation uh, when we had the riots in Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. We got re a request from CBs to switch to surveillance audit. Uh, we also in this case consulted with our regional uh, office in the region with uh, people from our system living and operating in or close to Hong Kong. And we also researched some some travel risk indexes from governments on the web page. And we came to the conclusion that the risk is not that high that it prevents auditors from conducting audits on site. So mm -hmm. this was a derogation request, for example, just recently that was rejected, not connected to COVID, but also mm -hmm. connected to perceived health risk or security risks for auditors. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, so so we do have precedents that you can't just always request a derogation and then actually it's, expect to get it. It's not an automatism. We really look carefully into it because we know that every exception is an invalidation of our rule and each rule has been carefully crafted. It has, every rule has a reason why it's there and it's a, an expression of a will of our stakeholders to regulate something. Mm -hmm. So, and if we invalidate this, it has consequences. 
And we have to be very careful that we control these consequences. So this is why we are not simply saying yes to all derogations. Mm -hmm. What happens when the pandemic slows down? Do we go back to normal? I mean, as I said, these in case of the derogations, they are time bound. So once the derogation expires, the normal rule kicks back in, in terms of the requirement. What I think will change is the way we look at things in terms of mm -hmm. processes. I think we were now really pushed into faster than 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 uh, expected and planned. We were pushed into into innovations, mm -hmm. looking into innovations. Uh, what options are available in terms of remote working, in terms of being more efficient and effective? And I think people got an appetite for that, mm -hmm. and we got an appetite for that as well. And I think these are the things. Uh, which will maintain and they will make their way into our normative framework, into the system. Maybe not immediately tomorrow, but it's also not pushed down the road now anymore. Mm -hmm. I think it's something which will be still in the short term, make a change of the system. Mm -hmm. If you look at the way that uh, the policy and standards unit work, uh, the unit that you're in, I've, I've been in FSC for more than 15 years. Uh, and I don't think I've ever seen such responsiveness from our system to a situation as I've seen in these last months due to COVID. Do you think uh, that this push into a new situation will change the way that you work more permanently? I think there are two sides that we need to look at. I mean, our rapid response tools have always been rapid, but I must admit they are not very transparent. I mean, if we have given derogations in the past for a single CB, for a single uh, incident, this is not very visible. Although mm -hmm. it's announced on our regular fora, it's not something people pay a lot of attention to if a certificate is extended for a week or so somewhere. Um, mm -hmm. But now with this with this situation where we had to re respond to, to a large amount of requirements, to a massive amount of requirements, the situation is much more visible and people are much more affected by this crisis than by any other requests we had in the past, which is usually very local. Mm -hmm. So this is this is also a way that people see this now differently. But, but the other side of this is that we also see a need, but also a wish from our side to operate differently in the future because we feel that our processes are painfully long, painfully complex, painfully hard to understand. And this is something we want to change. But honestly, this is not something which came out of COVID. This is something we already identified before. I mm -hmm. mean, COVID may be another push that shows us really the need to do this now very fast, to, to implement changes very fast. But the need for change was already identified before. So we hope that we can develop better processes in the future but we also have to remember these are processes not for single requirements, these are processes for whole documents, for packages of requirements, mm -hmm. which is, of course, a bit more demanding in terms of times and efforts. And we also need to be careful not to overspan because we still need to respect the right of our stakeholders and members to be part of a democratic and transparent process. Mm -hmm. that we don't limit them in their right to be involved and don't limit them in their right to be respected in their opinions. Mm 
Mm-hmm. So I think we, this is a balance we need to find. What we do at the moment takes too much time, is too complicated, but we can also not go to something where we rush things so fast that we kick out the rights of our stakeholders. What is the responses to the changes and the possibilities been? I would say the majority of responses has been extremely positive. People were very happy that we uh, were so fast in responding to the challenges and offering uh, credible alternative solutions. At least most people have perceived them as credible. Of course, we know that there are also groups and people out there who have doubts about lowering the bar on requirements, even if it's only temporary. We respect those opinions, but we believe we have done a good job in in mitigating those risks as best as we can. Um, So overall, I'm very happy with the responses we get. And we also got the response that FSC is like the leader in terms of of responses uh, compared to competitors or other certification schemes. So we know that other certification schemes look at us on how we deal with these challenges and then adapt what we have developed. That's not a bad situation to be in, to be the no, leader. we are very happy and proud about this. But to be honest and fair, we also have to say that uh, other international organizations like the International Accreditation Forum, they are also doing a lot of work to allow flexible options also in the ISO world, mm-hmm. uh, which is more in the industry world rather than in the voluntary certification scheme world. Mm-hmm. There's also a lot of things we can learn from them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But in the in the voluntary certification world, we are leading the way of how we respond to these challenges. That's it. I hope you now have much more insight into what a certification scheme does when audits are difficult to carry out and what we've learned from the pandemic. I, for one, hope that we will be able to maintain some of the agility and speed that the pandemic has pushed our organization into and that we therefore come out of this crisis stronger. In the next episode, I will invite you into the world of wood sampling and how we can use forensic sciences to protect forests and boost due diligence worldwide. If you want to get in touch with us or follow our work, I strongly encourage you to join our LinkedIn group. It's called FSC Digital Innovation and is open for everyone. You can always also get in touch with me on digitalinput at fsc.org. I'm Laura Worm, and this was Forest for the Future.